Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which, well, means I'm back from vacation, but that also means Rebecca Lynch is sitting across from me. Rebecca's with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always good to have you. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert? Uh, Good day, everyone. So it's good to be back. I had a nice week off, sweating in uh, (laughs) sub-Saharan Illinois, Springfield (laughs) namely. It was 95 all week for nationals, but I had a great time with my son who finished sixth actually in the 450 modified at nationals. So it was a fun week, even if it was hot. But uh, it's good to be back. And uh, while I was gone, you guys are total troublemakers. Let me just say, you, uh, we, we have a little story that <laughs> such controversy with Republicans. So if you don't know, uh, last week's podcast uh, had an image that yesterday the Republican Party basically and Scott Walker campaign kind of blew a gasket And the over. Vukmir campaign. Vukmir, don't forget Leah Vukmir. Why not add them? <laughs> um, but, you know, people know this show is we talk about a lot of serious topics, but we try to do it with lightheartedness, have a little bit of fun. And our images have always been cartoonish at some level. Uh, we try to have a little fun with language sometimes, <laughs> but never like literal per se. So, Robert, what's just a little update before we go into the rest of the show? What happened uh, yesterday? That which would be Wednesday. Well, as the um, uh, topic we came up with, the title for the program last week was "Open Political Season," kind of a pun on open hunting season. Uh, Brian came up with an image that had kind of a cartoonish target and a cartoonish arrow going into the target, not going to anyone individually, and then Scott Walker and Vukmir standing behind it. And so I started getting emails from Associated Press, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, calls from WIS Politics, uh, saying that the uh, Walker campaign was going ballistic over this and claiming that we were inciting violence against the governor and Senator Vukmir. They must not have listened to the show. <laughs> now, That's not at all I must point out that about. when candidate Trump actually did incite violence and suggest people use their Second Amendment rights against Hillary-appointed judges if she was elected, uh, they refused to say anything or comment, these great champions of nonviolence. And remember, they tried to put back into the frame that somehow they were all threatened for their principled stand on Act 10. So it's really just an attempt to reawake that kind of narrative. Correct. But let's, let's face it, Matt, uh, and we can talk about this more broadly. Uh, we use martial metaphors, military metaphors, to describe campaigns all the time. There are war rooms. Walker has a war room. There are electoral targets, there are right? Battleground Wisconsin There's podcasts. Battleground Wisconsin <laughs> podcast, Battleground states. Um, I mean, it actually goes on and on. Um, there are ground wars. There are air wars. I mean, I could go on and on. So the question is, is that okay, right? But we have this cartoonish arrow in a, in, a, in a target, and somehow we're inviting, and this is the other thing, all of the violent leftists to go after Governor Walker. We know the violence is actually on the far right in this country, not on the far left for, uh, for the most part. I mean, in other words, the, all the organized violence. I mean, there are people who are troubled on all sides who commit violence. But as an organized movement, the violence in this country is on the right, not the left. Well, obviously, this is much to do about nothing but I think you you nailed it Robert it's this it's an opportunity to bring up what happened those 
supposed death threats that they received during uh, during the uprising. So, and anyways, I, I might add, uh, stop calling it the war on poverty. Yeah, you're, well, you're inciting violence. <laughs> all right. On that note, we are going to leave uh, this subject behind, and we actually need to get to something very uh, specific as it relates to Scott Walker. Speaking of the truth teller. Um, he came out with an ad this week on healthcare. We have been talking about healthcare. It's going to be a defining issue. We've worked very hard uh, to try to elevate the issue as it relates to what's going on in the Democratic uh, uh, discussion. Um, but Governor Walker clearly is reading good polling and sees that this issue is huge. Um, also, and is out with one of his early ads, at least issue ads, uh, on healthcare. Wisconsin's healthcare system is ranked first in the nation for quality, but Obamacare premiums have skyrocketed by 36% this year, and many families just can't afford to pay for healthcare. Washington politicians keep promising to fix the problem, but it never happens. That's why Governor Walker's plan to keep premiums down is so important. Our bipartisan plan invests $200 million to help lower premiums for Wisconsin families because we can't wait for Washington to get the job done. Robert, this thing is obviously trash in terms of its actual factual evidence, but uh, it's smart because he knows that this is a bad issue for him and, and Republicans in general, and so he's trying to get out front on it. But please, for our listeners who will be seeing this ad in saturation, just a little context to help them discuss it. So this is one of the most telegraphed sucker punches <laughs> you've ever seen because when all of a sudden, after seven years of sabotaging the Affordable Care Act, calling for its repeal constantly... Um, and undermining it, raising prices because he thought that was politically valuable to him by every means possible through his government, right? He suddenly, in a state of the state, wanted to stabilize the Affordable Care Act marketplaces. And his solution was a corporate subsidy, pay insurance companies more money so uh, in return for them lowering rates, but not even holding them accountable for that, unlike other states, because we don't do serious rate review. Minnesota has this, but Minnesota does rate review and can actually verify the money is being passed through to consumers. And so we knew that indicated at a state of the state that he had polling that showed that he was very vulnerable on health care and he was going to try to change his image, just like he did earlier in education, right, where he suddenly started refunding education. And it, what he did, just like in education, didn't make up for all the cuts. What he did didn't even come close to making up for not only the past sabotage, but the continuing we uh, revealed last week based on an insurance commissioner bulletin, no press release, that Walker took another act of sabotage by extending substandard lemon plans, which are dangerous people who buy them, and siphon off healthy people, since they can discriminate, away from the marketplace, therefore raising premiums for everyone else. So the sabotage actually continues. So here's the thing. If he has nearly unlimited money to do this, he's going to see if he can do this through propaganda, right? And it's going to be over and over again, I'm great on health care. The problem is, Republicans are not credible on health care generally. He's even less credible on health care. You know that from the ad, too, as I kick it to Rebecca, because the, uh, vo the voice, the speaker, was not Governor Walker, since he's, not untru he's <laughs> untrustworthy on health care. It was a doctor, in a, in a white, you know, with a white medical coat on. So they even don't think Walker is a credible messenger on health care in his own ad. You know, propaganda, um, as you mentioned, Robert, and saying over and over again um, something that isn't quite true, I think is the only option that Governor Walker is left with, right? Like, what else can he do? I, I almost feel sorry for him and for any other Republican governors throughout the country who spent, you know, all of 2015 and 2016 
railing against Obamacare, uh, you know, campaigning for Republicans in Walker's case, running for president then supporting Trump uh, and only for the Republicans in Congress to fail them. Right. They were unable to repeal Obamacare. They certainly had no plan to replace it. People across the country and certainly across Wisconsin rose up against um, any attempt to dismantle Obamacare. And so now you have Governor Walker between a rock and a hard place. He is against Obamacare, so he won't do any of the things that we should do in terms of accepting federal money, making the reforms that Obamacare calls for to stabilize our market and make us you know, comparable in terms of premium prices to our neighboring states. You mentioned Minnesota. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he what he's left with no other choice. So he's I mean I, I almost again it is a number yeah, you're one. A very nice person. <laughs> you really are. You are a very nice person uh, because you have the consummate politician just changing with the political winds. Now what I was doing is unpopular. When they had made Obamacare unpopular, he was all oh I'm all against it. Take it all down, and I'm taking it down and making people free by taking away their health care, which is the Republican position. But I think it's like the kid who cheats and gets caught and then blames someone else, what else could he do? <laughs> well, I, Can yeah, I also go. say one other thing that I find interesting? So uh, in, in messaging um, in recent um, other campaign communications from the Walker campaign, but also in this, you know, they keep using the word bipartisan or alluding to bipartisan <laughs> solutions. <laughs> so I just want to read right here. There's a, a quote here from the ad. Governor Walker, our bipartisan plan invests $200 million to help lower premiums for Wisconsin families because we can't wait for Washington to get the job done. There are so I, many things. There were a few that. Democrats who voted for it, and uh, in fact, uh, we discouraged it. We came out strongly against it and said it was an unaccountable corporate subsidy. And I talked to several on the phone who voted no after we talked, but there was some notion that among some Democrats, that they just shouldn't be against anything that might be somewhat helpful on health care. Well, and, and talk about partisanship. <sighs> Yeah. Talk about partisanship and health care, right? So look at D.C. In D.C., the, the folks who Walker supports, Paul Ryan, no less, you know, Speaker of the House, so in our state, someone who uh, Walker supported, Donald Trump, who Walker supported as well, uh, these Republicans have shown no bipartisanship when it comes to trying to attack and dismantle Obamacare. They failed. And so that's, it, that's, it's fact. That's not true. Trump offered bipartisanship. He said they could do what he wanted. That's his <laughs> definition of bipartisanship. But I was just going to say that the, we missing the other part of the plan that's not in the ad, that is re-legalizing pre-existing addition discrimination if the ACA is ever repealed. That also is part of the great plan. Well, that was, should have been in the ad. That's a yeah. very, very positive thing. Um, <laughs> one thing that I want to show about how smart Walker is and that they have the best polling uh, money can buy, mm -hmm. you brought up the part about Congress failing. or yeah, yeah. That, is, that is, shows that they're reading good polling because we see the same kind of stuff on a, you know, just a little insider stuff. We're hearing the same thing, right? Like People view health care through what Congress did and through what has been going on at the federal level. They don't track what's going on at the state level. So when he says Congress failed, most people are like, hell yeah, you know, and, and I'm fixing it, right? Congress it's failed. It's not true. Congress failed. We need somebody else here who can actually do something Congress to make it better. Congress failed yeah. to do what he wanted them to do, <laughs> and now he's stepping in to save us. <laughs> well, with that, we have to take a break. You are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. We are talking about healthcare before we went to the break, and we want to continue that conversation. Um, we were talking specifically about Walker's healthcare ad, TV ad that basically lies about his his record. And uh, Robert wanted to transfer very quickly into some news this week around 
Trump and what Trump is doing around, he's obviously granting a number of waivers around Medicaid. And of course, Wisconsin applied for, for the first one. And a lot of these have to do with drug testing, greater restrictions. Work. Work sleep, requirements. Uh, not even work. Uh, bad work training requirements designed to get you to quit. Yeah, a bunch Medicaid. of these things. And I, I want this is important for our listeners to know. Trump may be doing something with transparency that might actually lead in the long term to getting us data that would prove that these experiments are a complete disaster and that people are falling out. Could you quick just give our listeners a quick update on this? It's very interesting. Yeah, our friends at Talking Points Memo did a piece on this that I was quoted in, and it is... They're, they've announced a new scorecard to see how Medicaid beneficiaries are doing state by state. And of course, what's that going to show if it's a legitimate scorecard is, is that states that invest less in health care, states that have lower wages, right, states that have the whole conservative approach to the economy are going to do worse, and states that invest more are going to do better. And so it's not going to justify the shrinking government in a bathtub uh, approach of the far right. It's going to justify getting the revenue to make serious investments in the economy and healthcare and raising wages and raising living standards, et cetera. And of course, the Talking Points memo points out, of course, that the usual list of deep red states are the ones that have the worst health outcomes. Surprise, surprise. So this actually, they'll probably kill it at some point because the, the, the right and conservatives don't like facts. I mean, in fact, a factual approach to things is a liberal idea. And so when the facts get out there and contradict them, they'll just get rid of the facts eventually. It'll be like the cleansing of uh, any mention of global warming from Walker's website, from the EPA website, et cetera. <laughs> well, we'll put a link on our webs uh, on this uh, podcast on the website where you can go read that article. Robert, one other thing I want to get from you on healthcare before we go talk more broadly about the governor's race is the news that came out this week about Medicare and, and the solvency of Medicare. And it, it sounded pretty alarming, right? If you're the average person that suddenly Medicare within the next 10 years is going bankrupt. Can you provide some perspective, please? Well, it's kind of a false idea. There's always been this date that's six, eight, 10 years ahead of where we are that says it's when it will be insolvent. And it means that there is less money coming in through the Medicare tax than going out. It doesn't mean any Congress would fail to follow through right. on Medicare, okay? So this senior should not be afraid because any, I think any politician that started cutting off folks' Medicare when they're all taking it is going to not be in office very long, okay? But what's interesting about this is, is that the Trump administration has made the revenue situation, because we need revenue for all of this, way worse, right, with this giant tax giveaways, mostly to corporations. They've undercut and destroyed healthcare reform. We're just trying to keep, keep what we have right now because of them, and, and we've kept a lot more than they wanted us to keep, right? But we're certainly not going on to broader healthcare reform. What you need is a, a reformed Medicare for all system uh, that would be a lot cheaper and cover a lot more people than the people covered now by Medicare. But they are, their ideology won't deal with this. What's fascinating is, is that you have the quotes from Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary from Trump, Fine and fella. he's, rather than doing the usual Trumpy kind of thing, like, it's a disaster, this is why, you know, you need President Trump to be able to do whatever he's claiming he's going to do this, this morning on Twitter. Instead, he's saying, it's all fine, everyone will make their payments, everything is secure and solid. So clearly, they've read some sort of poll that says that they'll get blamed. Now, President Trump probably will not stay on message, but I'm saying that's what's coming from the professional part of the Trump administration. All right. Well, Robert, thanks for that update. So, folks, don't, don't, that some of the reports that came out had very little context to them and they sounded very alarming, right? Like, uh, so I appreciate that context. 
okay, we're going to go back to the governor's race. We've got to talk politics here because we've got a, uh, a lot of interesting news. So uh, I was gone last week, but I heard you guys all previewed uh, the Dem convention, and there was a bit of news that came out of the Dem convention. I think folks would say the straw poll in particular was a bit of a surprise. Rebecca, tell us a little more about the Dem convention and, and any anything you find interesting coming out of it. So for listeners <clears throat> for listeners who are not Democratic Party insiders, which I do not consider myself to be either, um, the straw poll at the convention is open to anyone who's a delegate of the Democratic Party or a guest or really anyone who's in attendance. And so the folks who do attend the Democratic Party convention are elected officials, their staff, consultants, lobbyists, um, other campaign staffers, activists, Democratic Party chairs, um, a whole mo mostly Dem activists. Mostly so. Dem yeah. activists. Um, mostly Dem activists. But it's it's the people who are very much a part of the Democratic Party, and mm -hmm. everyone present has a pretty much has the ability to vote. Uh, Seven hundred and eighty nine people voted in the straw poll this year to indicate their preferences in a number of statewide races. Just for context, I want to say with Wisconsin's choice, we blew past that number in the first six hours. So I'm just you know citizen action members, union members, farmers, students, uh, you know folks from Milwaukee all the way out to Ashland and River Falls voting in Wisconsin's Choice. And, you know, we'll have the results, I think, by the next podcast. But anyway, so... Um, we'll be following that poll <laughs> with great closeness on this podcast as we get closer, yes. So Good it's, point. It's, it's, our, it's our version of a straw poll on the left, maybe, except yep. it's not a poll. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so, um, yeah, fascinating results to come out of it. Um, I have the exact numbers here, but does anyone want to break some I hear Kelda Roy's won. <laughs> Kelda won by, by quite a lot. Yeah. Um, the second place finisher in the straw poll was Malin Mitchell. Um, but if folks are interested in the exact numbers, Kelda got 184 votes. The nearest next vote getter again was Malin Mitchell, who got 93. So, you know, certainly it's not an indication of where the entire electorate is going to be, but it does show um, the organizational strength of the campaign infrastructure of Kelda Roy's and how much effort she put into the straw poll. You see, it's not just the number of people, though I take your point. These are the Democratic activists who care enough to come to Oshkosh exactly. for the weekend, right? So this is the most active core. And it's a little different. I mean, there's a, in, in Milwaukee and Madison, there are a lot of progressives, highly active, who aren't part of the party. There are a lot of parts of the state where the party is essentially the only yep. real source of Democratic activism. And so I think this is, does measure something. It may not translate. I mean, Tim Burns definitely had activist support, but not general election support once he was in a primary. So I'm not saying it means Kelda wins, it, but it certainly means Kelda has an advantage no one really anticipated. No one would be shocked that Kelda won the straw pub at a couple pubs, but doubling up the nearest person is interesting. Also, Malin Mitchell and Kelda running ahead of the alleged frontrunner Tony Evers also is very interesting. And Tony's uh, speech was all about how he's ahead in every polls and he's the ine inevitable nominee. The straw poll didn't help with that narrative very much. No, I think you're totally right. I mean, and it, it, the folks who are there, who are the Democratic Party chairs or Democratic Party activists who are voting for these folks uh, are presumably the people who are going to be helping to get out the vote, particularly because the Democratic Party itself won't be involved, right? It's a primary. The, the structure itself is going to stay out. So it's up to the individuals to be involved with the campaign. So it's definitely interesting to see who has momentum among the foot soldiers of the party. 
Um, can I just point yeah, out one absolutely. other quick result? Um, so actually two. So in Lieutenant Governor, Mandela Barnes, Citizen Action Co-op member, blew his competition out of the water. Woo-hoo. I mean, hugely. He got 617 votes. Kurt Colbert got 146. Uh, you know, Mandela also, by the way, last week was endorsed by Move On. So anyone who doesn't know about Mandela, please find out. Um, I think he is really exciting and running on a platform that we, you know, most listeners, I think, of this podcast believe in. And then Sarah Godlewski also blew her competition out of the water. I, I don't remember the names of her two opponents, but she got 530 votes out of 789. So she did very well. Yeah, well, so as long as we're on talking about the straw poll and polls, it's a natural, logical connection. We have to talk about what's going on with the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association. What is it? A it, forum? A debate? A, in my uh, opinion, I've found these weird <laughs> since I, ever since I moved to Wisconsin to, get, to go to UW-Madison <gasps> for my PhD, and that was, well, I voluntarily came, so I love Wisconsin even more and as an immigrant. But anyway... Oh. Um, <laughs> That's so, straight out of the messaging of one yeah. of the candidates in the 42nd. Yes. I moved here. I'm, so I love it. That the Wisconsin Broadcast Association for years had some guy with the horn rim glasses they look like from the 50s moderating in monotone. It's sort of a weird thing. But, Matt, they were... And on Friday night when everyone is glued to their television for politics. Oh, no. so, that, so that the commercial stations in their license renewals can say that they did things in the public interest. Yes. We had this during the worst rating time boring debate with the most boring moderator imaginable uh, and others like that. So you have that. That they, sounds nice. Yeah. I'd like to go back to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they were trying to limit it to four. Four. And who were the four anyway? They, they hadn't announced. They oh. said what was going to happen was that they were going to use the Marquette poll uh, and the next Marquette poll that I think is coming out shortly and that they were going to take the top four and they were also going to look at fundraising. How, whether you had raised enough money and they were going to take the top four, how they were selecting that, what exactly, not clear. But kudos to all of, pretty much all of the candidates uh, to come out in kind of unison against this um, and say that they're either not going to come or certainly blast this. Even Governor Walker had the sense to say, like, really, this is a bad idea. You might not have the winner on the stage right now. How bad is that? So, um, as of the recording here this morning on Thursday, uh, the WBA tweeted yesterday that they're reconsidering. So I believe that I by the time this gets posted, uh, they may have fully reconsidered. They could have at least done like the Republican debates last time and had the kids' table. Remember that? <laughs> For those who didn't make the main table. Yeah, that went well. And speaking of that... That was like Lindsey Graham and people like that. i got to send you to the kids' table, Robert. we got to get to a break here, uh, here at the Battleground. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenaction.wi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. You're listening to the. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Before we left, we were talking about the governor's race. We were talking about the WBA and their selection of four, their random selection of four. Um, and so that leads us to the fact that we're also having, you know, processes. You mentioned uh, the Working Families Party and 
um, our Wisconsin Revolution, how we're all participating in a process to have people try to, around the state, select Wisconsin's choice. So talk a little bit more about that. Remind our listeners. Yeah, sure. I'm certainly sensitive to the problem that the WBA is trying to resolve. You know, I mentioned on the podcast last week and the show last week that we had recently had a forum in Racine with eight candidates. And it's just impossible to get real substantive conversation um, I certainly, you know, as a progressive disagree with using money as the bar by which we measure whether or not a candidate should be eligible for a more, um, you know, smaller, more in-depth conversation. But it's really a thorny problem that we really haven't had to solve in the past in Wisconsin, at least in the recent past. So with Wisconsin's Choice, we, too, are narrowing the field. Um, but we're doing it in a very small D democratic way. So um, right now, uh, as of air, as of taping, um, once this airs, we'll be done. But right now, as of taping, we're in the final day of voting in the second round for Wisconsin's choice. And you know, uh, thousands of activists around the state, um, either in person at house parties or online at home, are pledging to do some kind of action, either on behalf of the candidate they support or with Wisconsin's choice. And they're voting, uh, ranked choice voting for their top four um, preferred candidates who are participating in the project. So, you know, that'll be interesting to us because we're really trying to find who is, you know, we're calling it the people's champion. And it might be that there are multiple people's champions, but we want to really narrow it down to those folks so we can have a substantive conversation about the issues that are truly important to us. Yeah, what's great about this project has been it's been a combination of forums, dialogue, and people being allowed to vote, but not just vote, but I think the commitment, the part that I really like is that people are making commitments to get off, you know, get off their computer (laughs) and come out and do something. You know, it's what, 10 hours, right? Make some serious commitment of time to go out and help a candidate or help, you know, a project on behalf of some candidates. Because that's the only way we're going to take, we've talked about this before, take what everyone says is a blue wave and actually make it real and make sure that it happens. It's not just going to happen on its own. Um, and that goes for the special elections that are occurring this weekend, right? They, the wave doesn't just happen if people don't make calls. So we'll have links to where you can go to help make calls to help uh, a couple of the candidates this weekend. We'll have you them on our on, site. On our website. Right? Yep. So you got to get involved in order to make this happen. I think that's what's great about this project is people are also making commitments to, to do that. Um, and it's also what's great about, you know, what Citizen Action is trying to do around the governor's race and the forums and the way you're engaging members. I don't know if you want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, so we've mentioned that we're doing um, forums with our members, and anyone else can come, but we're really trying to take our platform that we and our members developed last year and, and inject it into this race and make sure that the gubernatorial candidates are aware of it. So our sec, our excuse me, our third forum is going to be Monday, June 18th here in Milwaukee. Uh, doors open at 6 at the Milwaukee Area Technical College at the Student Center, room 120. Uh, and our fourth and final forum is going to be in De Pere on Saturday, June 23rd, and that is at the Brown County Library, the De Pere chapter. Uh, and uh, that will start, doors will open at 1030, uh, and th- the, the forum will start at 11. So, Folks, that's welcome to come. We, of course, really want uh, all of our co-op members and members to, to get there um, and uh, b- participate. We're having significant surveys and evaluation forms for every attendee to really allow their input and their thoughts, and that stuff will go to our board, who's helping try to make a decision whether there could be one candidate. But nonetheless, uh, please get out and attend those. Um, and we mentioned there's special elections next Tuesday. So if you are in Senate District 1 or Assembly District 42, 
Get out and vote on Tuesday, but more importantly, folks, get out and help those candidates if you can. And again, we'll have links. All, everybody, right, like you can make calls from home, so there's ways you can get involved anywhere you are. With that, let's talk a little bit about Foxconn, because we talk about Foxconn every week, and <laughs> I don't know if you did last week, but I'm back. We did. We did. Good, we always good. always do. The and Foxconn. The Foxconn, as uh, Jonathan Brostoff has uh, dubbed it. So, you know, one of the things that is very obvious is that there's massive construction going on and massive infrastructure that needs to support the Foxconn. And part of what the state was hoping to do was to get uh, over $200 million from the federal government to help with the road construction. And we found out just overnight that the state's only going to be getting $160 million, and that is $86 million less than what they are expected. So that money's going to have to come from somewhere if they're going to complete the project. Given the Foxconn was announced at the White House, I guess they thought maybe the Trumpcon might put in, but apparently it's going to the wall or something else, or to the luxurious travel of his various corrupt cabinet officials. Well, this is classic, right? Like, they say that this is going to happen, and then Walker will just say, well, it didn't happen, and they'll just have to move the money. But overall, this is a, still a good project, right? You know, just as, as they're... Um, That's why I love the Walker thing. He's, he's so positive in this. He says that we will still be able to keep the I-94 project where we want it. <laughs> All lanes will be open in both directions by 2020, and the project itself will be completed... Uh, completely completed by 2021. So in other words, everything's great, everything's working, uh, as, long as, as long as it gets built, right? That's the only standard, changing the frame of reference. Not, of course, in anything else, like high-speed train, right? That didn't get built. It's all about money with him until it's not. It's completely disingenuous for President Trump and Speaker Ryan and, uh, you know, the folks in D.C. to talk about wanting to bring back manufacturing jobs to the Rust Belt and not invest in critical infrastructure in the Rust Belt. I mean, I-94 is a real lifeline for folks living along it, certainly in Racine. And it's a huge, you know, transportation. And, and uh, we talk a lot about trains and, and other forms of transportation. But, you know, the interstate in terms of transportation infrastructure is a huge component of trying to figure out how we solve the economic challenges of Southeast Wisconsin. And it's just really, um, there's such a cognitive dissonance between saying that you want to create jobs, you want to bring jobs back, but you won't invest the bare minimum necessary to make sure that like the development along I-94 continues and is prosperous. Look, this pig is on their watch, the Republicans' watch, in terms of Foxconn. And the reality is this $86 million is coming somewhere. And so for folks who live outside of this project, it's coming out of your transportation budget or somewhere else because it, it, it just doesn't go away. That's what they so, say. They're going to move money around. Yeah, so, so that's the reality. So if you like those Scott holes around the state, then it, they're going to get bigger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Driving around. Oh, my car. i got to get my suspension fixed. This my used to be a state suspension. with great roads. Oh. This, is, this is what conservative government <laughs> delivers you. Yeah, just a little side story. I'm currently driving a Vibe that has... Uh, a, a spare tire on the back and the front suspension is completely shot and I'm to the point where I have to go in and get it done. <laughs> Thank you for the Scott holes. So with that though, let's um, change gears a little bit. We want to actually go back and chat about the news that came out late last week, I believe, and that is that our Justice Shirley Abramson is Abrahamson. Abrahamson. I got to get that pronounced right. Shame on me is not going to run for re-election next year. And um, 
That's big news from a political standpoint. It takes a seat that, let's be honest, she would win re-election handily <clears throat> and puts it back in play. Um, but aside from that, we thought it was worthwhile to take a moment just to talk about the importance of her career and how, <clears throat> how important she is as a historical figure now, looking forward in, in, in Wisconsin, um, in terms of being not only, the I believe, the first women justice, but su such a critical liberal progressive lion on our, on our court here. Um, and, a, and, and even the last couple years, when they had the attack on her and removed her uh, as the chief justice, she has yes, been they had to her dissents the have been awesome to remove her yeah. right, from chief justice. But her dissents have been really important to read over the last few years. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted to throw it out to any thoughts or comments people have because, you know, I feel very strongly about her. So I, I'm sad that she's stepping down, but I totally understand why. First woman justice, therefore first woman chief justice. Uh, one of the few state-level Supreme Court kind of folks who has national stature as a jurist. I mean, this is someone who is, who is considered first tier, who is certainly at the level of, of, a, of a very good U.S. Supreme Court justice. Very in contrast to the right-wing takeover theory, which is to put these profile candidates in that don't know anything about the law very much in so that they'll just side with WMC and, and corporate interests and right-wing interests. Uh, this is very different. This is a serious jurist who's left a, a lasting mark and will be in the in the Wisconsin history books in a significant way. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, now of late, like a frequent dissenter, uh, and it, as recently as this week, when there was a major decision made regarding a, dairy, a proposed dairy farm in Wood County, yeah, a CAFO, right? A, yeah, a, yeah, a CAFO in Wood County, where. Um, Abrahamson and Bradley were the two dissenting justices. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be a big loss. And I don't know if we have enough time now, but the political implications up and down the ballot of having a very competitive Supreme Court race will impact, you know, school board races in Milwaukee and, you know, town and village board races outstate all over the state. I mean, it, it's going to it's going to increase turnout more than I would have predicted without this race. It's interesting that you mentioned that the two justices who were the key dissenters, right, in many ways, like as she retires, she is the forebearer to what I think we're going to witness this election cycle with the Me Too movement and so many women running, and w hopefully here in Wisconsin, right, where we're actually uh, have, have tons of women running for state assembly and nationally. And I think that it's in some ways fitting that she might be stepping down at this time where I think we're going to see, uh, quite frankly, a revolution going on in politics over the next few years. With that, though, we have to take a break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at CitizenActionWI.com. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are going to talk a little bit about a new report or a new study that just came out because we think it's really important. Um, we talk a lot about the economy. It's part of why we talk about Foxconn. We think we need to make major investments going forward in order to create real economic opportunity. And one of the big issues that we have talked about in the past is the idea that uh, if you have a previous felony or you have previous criminal record that that checkbox when you go and apply for a job is incredibly limiting on your on your on your ability to get work there's a new report that came out this week that underscores how this is an even bigger problem and the report found uh, that in Wisconsin right we have expungement rules and I think a lot of people know that you can get a previous record expunged so that it's no longer on your record after a certain while and so a lot of times if you're younger for example these things get 
expunged. But this new report found out that because of the way our law is set up, that a number of criminal convictions that are supposed to be erased from public records are not, and that this is hurting thousands of Wisconsinites' ability to get work, to get employment, um, at a time when, quite frankly, you know, for a lot of these jobs, employers are really looking, looking for work. And we think, first of all, that these boxes should go. They need to be banned, right? Um, and oh, we got to do other things, too. There's yeah, a lot of other things. But I wanted to bring this up because this is really important because we're serious about trying to really provide opportunity, get the economy going. We've talked about mass incarceration. We have so many people incarcerated. We have got to do a better job of reincorporating people. And, and it starts with actually giving people access to a job. Robert? Well, it's even worse than just expunging uh, a, a record of conviction. We're one of only three states that doesn't allow you to expunge a non-conviction. So in other words, apparently 20, over 22% of Milwaukee uh, criminal records that people can go find and use against someone are for non-convictions, yeah. okay? And furthermore, uh, as far as standards for expungement, the study also found that there are 30,000 closed cases that would make uh, that would be expungement standards in Milwaukee, which are still on the books. Yep. So the one thing I want to say about it's called ban the box, right? The one draw drawback, I mean, look, we, we have to stop mass incarceration in the first place, but we have a whole bunch of people who have been mass incarcerated, so to speak. A generation, right? Uh, despite Two what generations, James actually. Comey says, he doesn't like the term, he says in his book, and says that they were all individually convicted. Actually, not true, because most of them are plea bargains because they have no other options because they're, they're low income, right? And, and, and are afraid of getting a worse sentence. So a lot of them are actually people who are, who are convicted in our mass incarceration system are actually innocent, and it's still the best deal for them just to cop a plea, so to speak, right? Uh, so we need to, like, stop having mass incarceration, which is historically anomaly in this country and the whole world, and we've normalized it. People think it's normal to imprison this many people. It's not. Anywhere else or any, any time in American history until right. starting in the 1970s. But then we have to d deal with all the folks who've had all this exposure to the criminal justice system so they can actually, we say we want people to pay their debt to society, quote-unquote, and go back and then become productive members of society. Then we make it very hard for them to do it. The one downside of just removing the box, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having an expungement system uh, so that people can uh, uh, cannot have a criminal record, right? Who are who are who who have all already served their time and met all the standards, right? Um, it, the problem with banning the box is there's some research that suggests that if you don't have the box, that employers simply impose stereotypes and may decide that African American applicants are likely to be have convictions even if they don't. So it's not, it's not the panacea, just so you know. The panacea is to actually take on the system of mass incarceration uh, and then actually have a, a, a serious effort on expungement. We have employers claiming that they need employees and then a system that is, that is creating a, an additional barrier to, to folks who want to work uh, getting a good job. Well, and so there's no, like, uh, I, I'm not as familiar with the process, but, like, from what I've read, you know, um, with this recent study, uh, there's no real way in Wisconsin for appeal. So at the time of sentencing, right, is when you would have to, the, where the judge would determine whether or not you're eligible for expungement. And so we have tens of thousands of people in the state who have committed low-level uh, have convicted or, pl or pled to low-level crimes when they were younger than 25 and have no recourse to have this expunged. 
<laughs> I won't I won't name anyone in this room, but there might be some people in this room. So. Yeah, yeah. And so. by the way, there are a lot of licenses you can't get, professional licenses, if you have a record. So that it's not just discrimination by the employer if you want to do this profession. And to do the profession, you need this license, which is often the case and is often a good idea because the licensure actually is to make sure, you know, that you actually have public safety and public health. So people think that cosmetologists uh, shouldn't have a license, but there are a lot of dangerous chemicals in cosmetology. And if you don't know that, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people. But, you, but then I'm not sure what cosmetology standards are, so I just use it as an example. But a lot of licensures require you to have a criminal record, and so there's a barrier to people uh, you know, uh, pursuing a career, even if there are a lot of opportunities in that career. Yeah, look, this, this issue is truly the issue, one of the massive issues of the next decade for our generation to really take on. Um, for all the reasons Robert mentioned, first of all, it's just immoral that we're in the levels that we're imprisoning people, but we can't really have a functioning economy if we don't figure out how to better, to stop wasting all this, this human life and human resource. So we're gonna continue to talk about this. Uh, this may become the Foxconn of the show over the next few years to trying to keep reminding our folks that we have to challenge ourselves to understand that we are not safe by incarcerating more people. It is not making us safer. Making us unsafe. It is. And, and costing and, a ton of money that could be go, uh, invested into opportunity. And, that, and that's really important because public safety matters, but we have to get it across. It is not making us safer. So we'll, we'll continue. Making us less safe. Yep. If public safety matters, we need to take down the system of mass incarceration. Yep. And so we're going to continue to try to address this and talk more about this and uh, as we go forward and whether it be studies, reports, whatever, we'll try to bring that to you. Uh, feel free also if you see something interesting to set, send an email to me if you think we should be talking about it on the podcast. And you can send that at matt.brusky at citizenactionwy.org. Um, before we wrap up our show, um, I do want to mention that we have a guest with us and who's been in the studio. His name is Mark Smith, and he is, he is a member of our Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative. Not only is he a member, he's on the steering committee for the, the Northeast, Northeast Co-op. He's on our board uh, of Citizen Action. As, as the Northeast Co-op representative. Yep. Yes. And then he is also an active member in the O'Connell County Dems. Since I think we, he's chair. Chair? What, yes. Chair. Awesome. So we are thrilled to have Mark. Mark loves the show, um, even though we apparently are terrorizing poor Governor Walker and Rebecca. Uh, uh, Clayfish. No, not and, Clayfish. Uh, oh, I'm Leah sorry. Vukmir. Leah Vukmir. I forgot. There's been we're, no accusation that we... No, no, Brian. We're done. No we want you to cease and desist. any threat to the lieutenant governor. That's right. But we appreciate Mark coming down and listening. Big fan of the show. And of course, we're really appreciative to his leadership and the fact that he's stepping up at, like a lot of other people are around the state and trying to build organization, build people-powered organizations where we don't look to somebody else to uh, do that. We say we're going to donate a little bit of money to, to create our own organization. So kudos to Mark, and we're glad he was able to come down and uh, listen into the show uh, today. Since we still have a couple minutes, I do want to mention uh, an event that we're having here in Milwaukee. Um, it is the third anniversary of our co-ops. Of, of, of the Milwaukee. Yep, of the... A, the initiating of the co-op model here in Milwaukee. And this Sunday at the Plymouth Church on the east side of Milwaukee, uh, we're having a potluck and a, and a picnic. Um, and it is from 1.30 to 4.30. We'll have more details on our website, but please come on over to Plymouth Church. 
on the east side of Milwaukee. That's this citizenactionwi.org. Yep, and uh, so we'll have all that, uh, all the details on the website. But with that, we got to wrap up this podcast. No, Brian says we're wrapping up Battleground with Tom. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. So, <laughs> with that, we are going to wrap up this podcast by actually bringing back a tradition. Since it's summertime and it's finally gone above 70 degrees here in Wisconsin, Rebecca, what are you doing this weekend when you aren't doing politics? <laughs> we call it the weekend furlough. It's been brought back. What are you doing this weekend to have fun? Oh, I don't know. Well, I have a suggestion for you. Go to the potluck. <laughs> Go to Pride Fest. Oh, yes. I yes. wanted to mention Pride Fest yeah, in Milwaukee. Totally. It is one heck, heck, I think we're on radio. Heck of a good time. Yes, I will definitely be doing Lots that. of fun. And a shout out to Jorna Taylor, our previous panelist who puts, helps put on Pride Fest. Uh, we hope it's very successful this weekend. Robert, what are you doing? Well, I'm going down to Fibland with my brother and Pushing my nephews to, um, uh, to see my mom and hopefully my dad. Then I'm, I have an, a board meeting of In These Times magazine. I'm on the board, the third leading uh, circulation progressive magazine. And the most militant left major one in the United States. Then I'm coming back for the potluck for the summer assembly of the Milwaukee Co-op. And then finally, uh, Candace Owley, the president of the Federation of Nurses Health Professionals and the vice president of the CIS National Wisconsin Board is uh, turning 70. And so there's a celebration around that as well. Congratulations to Candace. She's been a, an inspiring leader for a lot of folks uh, here in the Milwaukee area and in the labor movement citizen action so thank you candace and happy birthday with that we do have to finally go and we will see you next week here at the battleground wisconsin